0: Hello, welcome to ATM, Artist Talk Movies, a podcast interviewing creatives about films that have inspired and or influenced their personal studio work. I'm Hyde Fontno, and I'm here with co-host Aaron Stafford.
1: We're here to talk about contemporary art and the creative impulse with new guests each episode. We're having casual conversations.
0: We don't pretend to be authorities,
1: We're hoping to give you a window into the visionary process of Makers.
0: I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me.
2: Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this part is over.
0: Yeah, but they're not working on something that will change the world as we know it.
2: They say they are.
1: Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit. Even to the imagination.
0: Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging.
1: Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. <laughs> is it, Aaron, is this Hi. number 45? This is 45. Yeah. Holy shit. Episode
0: 45. <laughs> Thanks to all of our supporters. Yeah. <laughs> all five of you oh my goodness yeah.
1: I know we really appreciate it <laughs> um so hi do you remember when I was telling you how much I loved the aesthetics of decay yeah in gray gardens yeah. can I please take that back uh for this episode
0: <laughs> you can love more than one aesthetic Erin I I think we're allowed <laughs>
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this episode, we have been introduced to the 1984 movie The Fly, yeah. and the artist who we have on is Matthew Roney. right?
0: Who has a show up at the Nasher in Dallas right now?
1: I think actually it came oh, down. Oh, closed. it's closed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it was. It was great.
1: I'll tell you, yeah, we saw the exhibition in person. We were really lucky to, to make it over there. And it was it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I know that um, I saw a lot of social media about it. So I think other folks are probably yeah, just Yeah, as
0: impressed. And, and they produced a really beautiful catalog, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um.
0: So 1984, the fly, David yep. Cronenberg yeah. with, uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, and Gina Davis
1: ooh. and,
0: uh, and a baboon. <laughs> the
1: baboon. Were, were there two of them or was it like a twin Oh,
0: right. They probably had a few dozen just because they were exploding.
1: <laughs> they <just laughs> oh, had them
0: in like a little egg crate situation.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Shall I introduce uh, Matthew? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, You have a bio?
1: I do, I do. So um, Matthew Rone, um, who has described himself as a hermetic uh, Geppetto, (laughs) uh, create works that are derived from interacting with his subconsciousness. They begin as automatic drawings done in many mediums, uh, from small, quick pencil sketches to larger charcoal works. These form the basis for Matthew's softening of the membrane between the conscious mind and what lies beneath it. Uh, This practice generates a pool of representations that essentially evolve into sculpture. Working primarily with basswood, Matthew creates all of his works unassisted, investing the sculpture with uh, rhythmic textures and shapes that seem to have grown autonomously. The works are generally abstract and non-representational but they vibrate heavily with nature's vocabulary such as tubes bumps warts eggs and orifices (laughs) Uh, the works also embrace uh, nature's themes of reproduction and degradation and depend on the space between their parts implying the intimacy of touch which viewers often intuitively feel in a haptic way. Uh, Matthew has exhibited at the Whitney Biennial and also the Lyon Biennial, uh-huh. uh, the Perez Art Museum in Miami, the Blafer Art Museum, and of course, the Nasher Sculpture Center here in Dallas, uh-huh. um, and has an upcoming um, exhibit this May in Hong Kong at um, Periton. Uh, so welcome
2: Matthew. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, before we get into it, Matthew,
0: did you you did an artist residency at Artpace, is that right?
2: I wasn't a resident. I did the Hudson show. Oh,
0: and... I see. I see. I see. How long ago was that?
2: I guess I should I guess I should have put that in my bio too. Well, you know, um <laughs> when, when when was it? Or uh-huh. uh, Yeah, what what I year think it was, was like that? T- 2000 12 or 11 okay. maybe something like
0: okay. that.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Riley was still like the yeah. head like shop manager. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and now he's been promoted to director.
2: Definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, I'm in San Antonio now and that's why I I uh, mentioned it.
2: Right. Yeah. I know. I saw you guys are from I saw the microphone came from San Antonio. Oh, okay. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Cool. Um so Matthew, the fly! Oh my fucking god! <laughs> uh, can you um, maybe tell our listeners your history with the fly? Like, when did you first see it? Or- I
2: saw it as a child. Um, I was I was born oh in seventy six, and um, okay. I think it came out in nineteen eighty six. Maybe I'm wrong about that you said 1984 but whatever
1: oh my apologies no you're right it is 86 yeah. oh my gosh. Um, yeah
2: but Oops. so I was 10 and my parents mm-hmm. were um <laughs> both they had both been married before before they had me and I think uh-huh. maybe it was also uh-huh. like an 80s children like benign neglect kind of thing but I just uh-huh. I oh, yeah. was just allowed to do whatever I wanted and <laughs> uh-huh. wherever and yeah. we we had cable and so we had uh-huh. HBO, and so they played The Fly all the time, and okay. so I've seen oh, this wow. movie like, I mean, so many times, um, and I just really like loved it as a child, and then as uh-huh. I grew to become an adult, um, there were other things that happened in my life that that solidified my interest in
1: mm. in
2: body terror, um, uh-huh. and other things like that, and so it's just been a staple uh, for me so
0: so is that sort of what hooked you was the the element of of gore in in the fly
2: that and also I'm really um interested in aging and disease and I feel very mm-hmm. um, um anxious I, I like hypochondriac and okay um, like I, like if i I feel like some weird bump somewhere like I'm kind of like, I, it it gets me yeah. going and so like i i yeah. see myself in the Brundlefly yeah. character when things start to go mm. like south i really feel that uh-huh. and then as i <laughs> aged i also like i also um i don't think this is true i don't think that cronenberg saw it as a reflection about aids but i think that like uh-huh. it's kind of mm-hmm. undeniable that the the main like source of health panic in the 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s is AIDS. And so I think that, like, there's mm-hmm. something about it, even though it's not about contagion. I think there's mm-hmm. something about, mm-hmm. like, his, like, kind of meeting the uncertainty of what's happening to him. I, I can't imagine that mm-hmm. it didn't have yeah. something to do with AIDS, even though I think Cronenberg has kind of denied that or at least said that it's not, yeah. it, it wasn't, it, he was aware of it, but it wasn't what drove the, the movie. Right,
1: right. Well, it, it is interesting that um, the one big change that this movie made from the, um, the original movie, which was also kind of adapted from a short story, was the uh, relationship romance. So it's almost like we can't help but kind of see it in relationship to AIDS, which right. can be transmitted with a partner. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it—it's not really surprising, but it is interesting that Cronenberg, yeah, like doesn't really wasn't directly um, inspired yeah, yeah, in yeah. that way. He,
2: you know,
0: oh, go, go go ahead,
2: Matthew. Oh, I just wanted to share one other thing uh, to to build on yeah. that, which is that the other main difference is that in the in the original fly, like his head becomes like a fly immediately, so he can't talk.
1: Oh yeah. And uh-huh. so like the most
2: amazing thing about this—I love science and. I think that the the Jeff Goldblum character is not only a scientist, but he's a poet and kind of a bohemian, uh-huh. actually, like placing uh, right? him in the loft <laughs> with the piano and like, right. he's um, yes. right. and, and so he's able to kind of narrate like his metamorphosis, which I think is really unique and makes it a much better movie than the first one. Anyway, go yeah. ahead.
1: Totally.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh no! It, the, your point about um, it being a bohemian—he's a scientist, but his lab is in this dusty warehouse. And y- you would mm-hmm. think, with this type of science, it had—it should be, uh, you know, like a say, uh, what do they call it, a clean room? Yeah, like sterile. Uh, um, yeah, uh-huh. and and so it is funny. There, there's not a lot of like trappings of science except for the two, uh, uh, trans meters that he's built. Right. There's not like yeah. tools of his trade about or or other workers or like yeah, so it is it is more like an art project than a science project in the way that it's like the production design is in the film. Mhm. Well, you know, when you're just talking about this this could be an um a reference to the AIDS crisis because it was in 86 and that was like so primary in everyone's mind in the mid eighties, but also, you know, Cronenberg did, um, uh, an adaptation of naked lunch, uh, by William Burroughs, maybe like, would that have been like 96 or something, but 95, I'm not, I don't
2: know. I, ha- I didn't see that. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's sort of a tripped out by, a, by, by, biography of William Burroughs and so he's wrestling with his own uh like queer identity and his like both desire and um repulsion of like maybe submitting to his gay desire and so that is a terrifying film in terms of like if you were a young person and looking at that film as, as something about like oh this is about gay people and I'm gonna see it's like his lovers turn into like insect type Uh, it's really, it's really, uh, it does not, (laughs) uh, yeah, it does not make it seem like a a feasible lifestyle. Hmm. So, (laughs) you know, uh, so it could, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really reaching perhaps for like getting inside of Cronenberg's head and his relationship to like queer sex or like the AIDS crisis. But, uh, yeah, I would say that like he's, and in general, he's a little, he, he kind of uh, dips into repulsion when, when mm-hmm. he when he deals with the body.
2: Yeah, he yeah. loves it. And he I yeah, mean, for me, I think like all the different um, kind of body horrors in this movie are um, are things that in my own work i'm very interested in like the, the I'm, i like the inside turning out like the when uh-huh. he first does the experiment mm-hmm. with the baboon it turns it inside out which i think is really beautiful yeah. um and then <laughs> yeah and uh and it kind of it, yeah and then like the other one that i really love is the one where the, the guy's arm is broken in the in the bar mm-hmm. um, yes that one like for me like as a child i w- i witnessed um like a terrible football injury on tv the joe theisman he broke his leg in the redskins versus giants game on like monday night football and it was like kind of oh, the first time that i God. anyone i knew had ever seen somebody's leg like do something crazy like that and uh-huh. then oh, as a child God. i had dislocated my uh, wrist skateboarding, which looked really awful. Um, uh-huh. And then, oh, <laughs> and so I, I relate to that, I really like that scene. And then I think, like, what when I was mentioning earlier, like, also living in New York, like, during September 11th, like, there was a lot of, like, mm. um, there were a lot of, um, in the East Village, right after September 11th, there were a lot of exhibitions from photojournalists whose, whose photographs the newspapers wouldn't run. And they were and they oh, were extremely yeah. gory, and they were the kinds of images oh. that you would never forget. And I, for some reason, even though it's it it makes your body feel bad when you see stuff like that. It also yeah. it it for some reason it it's like an anti venom for me. Like I was like, well, what happens to the body when it is uh-huh. under like duress? Ah. And so I kind of can't help but to look at it. And um, I think this movie like does it it's the whole trauma of like what's happening to your body is kind of the for me like the main theme that I relate to and then I guess in the end also the romance I I listened to Mm Cronenberg talk about the movie and he's he was actually super interested in this you know that that like Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum were a couple during the film. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Uh-huh. So, was it before filming or during filming that it happened?
2: Uh, I think it was before. Um, okay. Because okay. they were in Earth Girls as, they were together in Earth That's Girls Is right. easy. Um, and, or easy or whatever the title is anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think they hooked up there. And then um, there were a couple of other things that I, I liked I, that Cronenberg said and things that also for me are important about the movie is like Cron- uh Goldblum's body. Uh, uh-huh. Like he's such an Adonis in the beginning of the movie. Like mm-hmm. and he and mm-hmm. I think it's for me like I really like tom of Finland. i really like george quaintance i really like like uh-huh. and feel interested to look at the male body when it's like puffed up with like uh uh-huh. you know mm-hmm. like from working out or whatever like i just yeah. think it's beautiful and i think um i think like obviously cronenberg did too and and yeah. goldblum was like yeah. really into working out and and i heard okay. that he like before they did all those scenes with his shirt off, like he would like be in like the trailer, like pumping iron so that his muscles yeah, would yeah. get all like swole. And, yeah. and I think that's yeah. like, I really Engorged like...
0: Engorged with blood. Yeah.
2: I find Jeff Goldblum, like, I find his body really fun to look at. I think his face is really great to look at. I love his like, yeah. his phrasing. And I think like, um I think he was the perfect actor to kind of embody the other 1980s quality of this movie which is like amphetamine <laughs> and that he like gets so sped up like in the movie at it's a certain true. point and i think he's just the he was the casting was like brilliant
0: yeah it was like this was written for him yeah
1: i didn't like i'm always sort of apprehensive about gratuitous nudity in movies but <laughs> yeah. i was totally fine with this one i was like bring it on it's jeff Goldblum. <laughs> does he need to be naked no but is it working? Yes. <laughs> <Right>. uh.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think it was necessary just because, like, you need to see that he's, like, in such great shape. That's before true. he, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, becomes... Okay, powerful. okay. Right, yeah. that he's ideal. Right.
1: And then there is this sort of suggestion that he's being maybe born in a way. Like, there's a kind of rebirth that happens. So, like, I, I yeah. get it. But I was still, like, I just... It made me smile, and I'm a big Jeff Goldblum fan. Uh-huh. I have a massive crush yeah, on him.
2: Yeah, he's, he's handsome in the weirdest so. way. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: He is. He's he's a funny-looking guy, but, like, he's very suave and confident, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and, yeah. See, this um, this makes me think uh-huh. even
0: more so that this is an unconscious AIDS, mm. AIDS uh, mm-hmm. reference because of, like – this kind of cult of like the superficial, like say in the guise of like health, you know, people that were like really worked out and needed to present, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as an object of desire, and then like AIDS really wrecked that. And and that you see, mm-hmm. like like you're saying, Matthew, that he's so ideal at the beginning of the film, and then he's he's sort of s- slowly turning into a monster. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I this is another thing. Like I always think like even films that I really love is the director aware of Mm -hmm. (laughs) like half Mm -hmm. of what we're seeing or is this something like the universe is participating and like contributing to, to like symbols and meaning in a film?
2: Well, I mean, in the end AIDS is a disease and I think that like he had to have known that like, you know, that, that the disease qualities would read that way. I mean, I think, I think like most great, geniuses like deflect like all their intentionality and i think it's a smart uh-huh. move because it's like they mm-hmm. they oh, want yeah. it to stay open-ended for everybody else and so you know they just deny so that it remains open-ended that's that would be my take
1: yeah i totally agree with that uh because you could kind of read it in a couple of different ways like it could be referring to um, like you said, Matthew aging or like I was sort of reading pregnancy in some of this, like the way the body changes. Well, well, and, oh, right. Her, and right, her, right. her
2: her that's that's a great and, scene. Her dream when she has the baby yeah. is so.
1: It's I, like love, a big yes. I love that yeah. scene.
2: And I like yeah. I, I also like Stannis. I think he's a really good actor and a good he plays such a crazy arrogant like yeah. his arrogance mm. is so intense. Um, Yes. And his like jealousy and like when he like when he embarrasses himself at the clothing store, I think like when he gets on his knees and like (laughs) he uses the word cock and like, I don't know, it's weird. It's Uh like it's like I think that was I really like the way that that character was written. The other thing, the other thing, just to diverge a little bit from the talk about the body and disease, the other thing that really attracts me to this movie is the set design of the pods. Mm. Uh Mm -hmm. and i think those are like for me as a child and even as an adult it's like an aesthetic that i don't exactly use in my own work but that i really admire so much like a kind of Mm. black mechanical goth um like sterile Mm -hmm. but lit like disco-y like and i I, (laughs) i know that he he had the production designer base it on like the motor of his ducati
1: Oh yeah! Oh, that's right. excellent! Yeah, yes. yeah. That's, and I, I just think yeah. the pod
2: design was really good, um, and I think it's like it's, like Cronenberg has talked about how the movie is could actually be a play, because it really just takes uh-huh. place like in the studio or the yeah, lab. That's
1: true. And and yeah. and it uh-huh. really
2: is just like you know like they're just it's almost set up in scenes based on his metamorphosis, and so it's like you know, minus the scene where he goes to the bar and minus, like, the scenes that take place at, like, her apartment. But there aren't that many, yeah. there aren't that many mm-hmm. um, yeah. sets. So, so Um. Yeah. anyway.
0: So what you're saying is, like, if we wrote a couple of songs, we could go to Broadway with yeah. this.
2: Well, he he, he <laughs> actually intended to make an opera out of it because they arrived at, oh, because wow. they initially had Nile Rodgers do a song for it, and he realized oh, that, like, God that like it mm. wasn't going to work.
1: That's right. And the, and
2: so yeah. he talks oh. he talks a lot about the soundtrack and how it, he wanted it to be operatic and which I think makes sense cuz like sometimes the wow. sometimes the narratives of operas can be quite simple and but they need to oh, be yeah. like really dramatic. They made really dolled up and like kind of like made to be such a spectacle and I think that's kind uh-huh. of the movie works a little bit like that.
1: Yeah. It, it almost sort of reminds me of Phantom of the Opera, now that you're saying that, and the sort of like, you know, a relationship and a sort oh, of... Oh, the Beauty and the Beast.
0: You know, these, the
1: monster yeah, Beauty and yeah. the Beast,
2: for sure. Exactly. Beauty and the Beast. It's
1: very... Yeah. Um, Matthew, before, I, we're kind of circling around this, but I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a brief summary of The Fly in case they haven't maybe seen it Oh, okay.
2: Well, I mean... Let's see, I've never done this before, but um, the, the <laughs> film is about a scientist who has been given money to work independently on a project that has to do uh-huh. with teleportation. And so mm. he invents um, well, or he like splices together like all these other people's inventions to create these pods where he's learning to transport physical objects, like from one uh-huh. pod to the other so that they can alleviate travel. And so he starts out with like mm-hmm. inanimate objects, which the computer can handle, but then he, he finds out that it's like, it doesn't handle organic life very well. It, uh-huh. it gets confused mm-hmm. by the flesh as he, as he keeps saying like yes. over and over again. And so then he like, basically he realizes that like, in order to understand flesh, you have to love flesh. And so he tries to mm. teach the computer somehow to love flesh at which point the computer gets it and he, mm. they transport a baboon and he, he meets, I forgot to mention, he also meets this journalist as a at a party oh, yeah. who's Gina Davis and she wants to come over and she's really interested in the journalism. And I think he's interested in just kind of showing off and maybe getting, <laughs> yeah. getting some sex or something. and, and, uh. Uh, and then <laughs> And then during, she she ends up being really excited about the project and thinks that it's going to be good for her career and for the magazine that she works for and stuff. And then one night she leaves to go talk to her editor, who's also her ex-boyfriend, and he gets drunk, and he decides that he's going to not wait to find out if the baboon mm. survived, really survived the first teleportation. And he just does it himself. And at that moment, yeah, a fly goes into the teleportation into the pod with him and the computer doesn't really understand what to do. And so it genetically fuses them. And so after that, after that next day, he's actually feeling amazing and he's like lifting weights and like doing all this (laughs) gymnastics. And he like, he, he, they have like a marathon sex scene. This is just that, just as an aside, my friend, my friend's wife they're in their forties, they, she had never seen it and he showed it to her and she hated the movie and he at the end of the movie ah. he asked her what scene did you think was the scariest and she said when they were having sex and he wouldn't stop <laughs>
1: that is anyway, so
2: so so there everything seems to be fine for a little bit and then he starts to like get pimply and like he starts to like get really like he goes through a part of the film where it's it really feels like he drew on his experience of like being really high on cocaine he's like talking really fast and like he thinks that he's like a (laughs) Icarus like flying really close to the sun he's like yeah and then like all of a sudden it just starts to go downhill like he can't eat food so he starts throwing up on his food and then his finger yeah his ear falls off which is really funny and like disgusting and his (laughs) he like he his fingers get all crazy and then slowly like the the rubber suits and stuff just get better and better until he's like (laughs) on the ceiling. And, and then crawling around. Yeah. And then like he, he starts to isolate himself because like he, his, um, his like humanness evaporates and he becomes like an animal. And so Mm -hmm. he's like scared for, for the Gina Davis character. Um, and so there's like some separation for a little bit. And then as he he like finally like he's also narrating everything that's happening to him, which is really kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. And so he tries to mm-hmm. he, he he racks his brain to how he can like reverse this thing and, and he just, oh in the meantime Gina Davis is pregnant with his baby. Yeah. And so right. uh... and so he thinks that like the best thing to do is to like put to splice himself with Gina Davis and their unborn baby so that like th- there's more human in his genetics than fly and that might be the only way to save him and then she she gets really scared and her ex-boyfriend shows up and they somehow like force Brundlefly fly into the thing um and then they sh- Gina Davis is in the other one but then they shoot the cable that attaches Gina Davis's pod to the computer uh-huh. yeah. and so that means that the computer fuses Jeff the Brundlefly with the pod and so he uh-huh. comes out looking yeah. like vaguely architectural and then he basically gets Gina Davis to shoot him in the head with a shotgun <laughs>
1: and then and then that's yeah Yeah. and it's that's and it's (laughs) valentine's
2: day next week (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly
1: oh my goodness
2: but it it is kind of sad and it's i think that it's like i think that (laughs)
0: yeah
2: i think it's like a little (laughs) i get confused because like they haven't really known each other for that long
1: right right and so
2: but like somehow cronenberg like like i think even though it's like a little bit too much like the suit the basically like a suicide scene at the end whatever when he like holds the gun Mm -hmm. up to his head uh, uh, Mm -hmm. that she's holding like you actually it actually kind of works and you're just like fuck this really is terrible like they could have been a good couple kind of you know and like um
1: It could have been a power
0: couple. I mean. But yeah, I mean, it is the best case scenario when you think about something as dismal as uh, like turning into a monster. Yeah. Uh, Like, yes, I mean, that's like a really I mean, not we, we may have to do like some suicide warning. (laughs) <laughs> like trigger warning right, yeah. thing on this to talk about a, a death like this, a violent death. But yeah, in, in the fantasy world of people turning into monsters and really not having hope of any type of like a joyful existence <laughs> or that, we understand it as like, we don't, we can't empathize with an insect um, mm-hmm. or I, I can't.
1: I don't know. I've saved a few ladybugs in my bathroom. In a while. <laughs> I, yeah.
0: that's
1: I true. Like it's <laughs> it's weird because like I'll kill the moth, little things, but not the ladybugs. Like I feel,
0: uh huh, because you've seen cartoons of ladybugs and they're friendly. Oh, you
1: yeah. uh, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a strange yeah. like hierarchy. But it's cousin
0: of, the roach you know. finds its oh, way under that your gets shoe every
1: time. <laughs> Most of the time, underneath the heaviest book I'm next to, and yeah, no. um, you know what? What's funny is that the very beginning of this movie, um, you know, this is where um, Goldblum and Gina Davis are are meeting, and I thought they were at an art opening. Like, yeah,
2: it's it is a little bit arty. I think it's like a meeting of yes. all the people that work for Belkin industries or whatever but it uh, is very okay. like art opening cocktail party like kind of uh-huh. thing
1: yeah i just totally got art opening vibes and then yeah, like, yeah. Well,
2: it's like the philanthropist
0: uh art patron a patron of the science mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. they're like oh this is what we're spending our money on and they're showing off yeah. all the creatives that they're supporting right
2: yeah i think so
1: And of course, um, Cronenberg has um, made a connection between art and science. Um, I have a quote here that he said, um, it's basically about like the connection to creativity and coming up with solutions. And how he says that um, scientists seek answers through the comfort of producing art. And I thought that was really interesting. And I know that art and science have been kind of layered and combined in in ways um, before. But I mean, I, I guess I was thinking literally in the movie how Brundle plays the piano. Like that's one of right. the. He's kind of like engaged in um, in music in that way. Uh-huh. And I thought that's such an interesting um, like connection between art and scientist
2: um well even even the way that he describes the way that he does the he comes up with the project like she's mm -hmm. like oh so you invented Mm -hmm. this and he says well not really like I just get Mm -hmm. these people to like make these things and then I put them all together and it kind of reminded me of like you know like a little avant-garde like kind of flair like he's like I don't really I'm not really the author like I'm just taking what you Uh know these kinds of things and putting them together like collage it was like kind of like science collage
0: Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh that's interesting too for an auteur like Cronenberg to reference like a collaborative effort because uh, (laughs) so many directors sort of like forget who's helped them Mm
1: -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. way. Yeah.
2: Another scene that I, another just aside for me, this is just a personal Mm -hmm. thing, but it's like, I think Gina Davis is like classically extremely beautiful. I think she's her face structure, but I don't, for me, like it's not, um, I don't find her sexual Um, Ah, except in this one scene in the movie where he's like he wants to show her how the teleport works and he's like just give me anything of yours that's personal (gasps) Uh and she takes off her stocking and it's like while she's looking at him like directly in the eye like it's like it's actually like a really like it's Mm -hmm. so much more sexy than any sex scene. It's just like, it's Uh, so provocative and it like really sets this like tone between them Mm -hmm. that they like, you know, they're flirting with each other that, and he's such a goofball um, that it's like, I don't know. I, I, that's, it was as a viewer this time when I watched it, it was one of the things that really stuck out because I love, I love, I also love Gina Davis and Beetlejuice and, I think of yeah, him more like yeah. that kind of yeah. actress like she's wearing like Laura yeah. Ashley and like you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. not like <laughs> yeah. and so like seeing her yeah. like taking her stocking off I don't know I just thought I just thought that scene was so pervy and like I like I feel like Cronenberg yeah. must have like a stocking fetish or something oh, you know it just was yeah. so specific totally. I was like the person that came up with this idea like loves stockings. Yeah, oh yeah. for sure.
1: <laughs> I really um enjoy Gina Davis's character, Veronica. I thought she was a really good, like strong female Definitely. character. Yeah. In you know, nineteen eighties, like it's like, all right, she's a career woman, she's um, you know, she she's seems advocating really...
0: for herself.
1: Yeah. yeah, she's yeah. successful, she's sexy, she's uh-huh. interesting. I was like, "Alright, Gina Davis." Like And I guess
0: she's initiating sex, really, with that gesture of That's taking true. her stocking down. Yeah. I was wondering how true that would read for women. Like, would you mm. do that with a man you just met? In, um, in their dusty warehouse. How
1: many alcoholic beverages might <laughs> I get to have
0: in <laughs> America? Okay, I I'm I'm drawing up the <laughs> mathematic formula for this yeah. right now, Aaron.
1: Put that into your computer. Yeah.
0: You
1: know. <laughs> yeah, cuz I think you're right. I think it's a little it's very Hollywood, but yeah. you know, with the right amount of um alcohol, I don't yeah. know, I could probably, you know, <laughs> it.
0: Off, maybe. But you know, Matthew, I think you are right though in terms of like how that registered as like an emotional truth or believability. Like the stocking had like a nuance of sex that wasn't mm-hmm. directly sex that felt like interesting and provocative. Whereas I felt like their sex scenes made me really uncomfortable, even though I knew they were a couple. It like the way they were directed and the like the little like kind of pillow talk was I found it cringy. Yeah. Cause I didn't I yeah, I didn't want to see them being that intimate somehow in the way that they were it didn't
2: well he doesn't there's no real like pumping or anything right like they're just mm-hmm. like it's just <laughs> like he's got that nasty high bed like maybe that's it like it's like it's, um but i do love the yeah, i mean goodness. it's what i thought was interesting about the sex scene is it's really like he loops it in as a driver for like those hairs growing because they're having sex and he like has that micro chest that gets stuck on and and then, and then the hairs come out. And so it's like, it kind of like isn't as gratuitous as you would think. And they don't Mm. show Gina Davis. Mm -hmm. They show like a a nice like side boob, but like I think her nudity was, which there isn't really is done like pretty, pretty like tastefully.
1: I, you know what Hyde? I think also that, What didn't help with the sex scene, maybe, is the (laughs) line that Gina Davis says to kind of initiate, which is she calls him cute. And I'm like, I don't think I would ever want to be called cute before I'm about to fuck somebody. I just feel yeah. like it's a weird compliment. Uh-huh. You're so cute. Okay, um, I don't know, but yeah, there's something strange about that. Yeah,
0: like like it's deme- uh, oddly demeaning or uh, like yeah. in infantil- infantilizing.
1: Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. Mm. Well, I
2: mean, he's totally awkward and the biggest nerd in the beginning oh. of the movie. Like, yes. So.
1: You know, what's funny, Matthew, is that I read that you are a fan of Joseph Cornell. And I was wondering if you were sort of drawn to these kind of uh, types that, you know, introvert, awkward. You know, Joseph Cornell famously was.
0: Oh, um, yeah. Didn't he live with his mother?
1: Yeah, I think in the basement, maybe, or there was, I read his biography ages ago, but I'll, I'll never forget the impression that I walked away with, which, which is that he spends a lot of time by himself.
2: Well, the interesting uh-huh. thing about Cornell, though, was that he, like, had people, like, really important people come and visit him in Queens. That's true. Yeah. Kind of in the same way that um, what's the painter that lived in Galveston? He was, like, he... Uh, oh, Forrest Yeah, Yeah, like, he was also, like, a hermit, mm-hmm. but he was, like, friends with, like, mm-hmm. some really, really, really important, like, people like, yeah like
0: betty parsons yeah and
2: but mm-hmm. also like some psychoanalysts mm-hmm. and some other you know like he was you know right. i think there's like yeah yeah he
0: had he he was kind of uh uh he had correspondence with people he right he reached out to people about like really specific subjects that he was kind of investigating yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. but yeah i do yeah. love cornell and i do love his hermeticism and i mean mm-hmm. you know i i think i my personal practice is one of kind of solitary endeavor. Like I carve wood by myself and don't work with assistants Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. Yeah, I I do love Joseph Cornell.
0: Yeah. I noticed that in your biography that you, you don't have a workshop. You don't have assistants, which is so rare, especially for someone that's as prolific as you are. I feel like artists um, are sort of always aiming at, Like, when do I get my workshop instead of like understanding, like I want to touch every piece. I want to make every decision.
2: I don't really subscribe to an expansionist like idea of what Uh I know that the world and it's like, you know, late capitalist moment is like one of expansion or die. But I don't, I feel like uh, the one, one of the great things about being an artist is that you, you know you do what you do because you are searching for that fulfillment of your creativity and so like you there's a lot that's under your control and so if you if you if you want to focus on money and market like of course you can do that or if you want to focus on your studio practice you can do that or you can try to meld both Uh of them or you can be, you know, a collaborative if you're interested in collaborating and you're interested in social practice, like you can do that, but it's kind of all up to you. And so for me, (laughs) I decided, like, you know, I really love the feeling of working. And so I guess Mm -hmm. like in the sense that, like, I think that he really pulls on this this Brundle character as like somebody who's really interested in their work, but they don't need to work with other people and that they they, uh-huh. they can you know be, tinker and do what they do in the studio or the laboratory and that, that that's what's fulfilling uh-huh. for them and that like maybe it makes it yeah. difficult for them to interface with society hence like the you know character this like a uh, Gina Davis character or like you know the art gallery yeah. or like curator or whoever it is that maybe needs right. to like step in and like help make your story or your thing like presentable and uh, you know accessible to society
0: uh-huh. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Jeff Goldblum character was somewhat like secretive and he he wanted to show off to this journalist, but he but he didn't want exposure.
2: Yet yeah, he wasn't he was ready. waiting.
0: Yeah.
1: I've been learning a lot about um, anxious avoidant um, oh. attachment styles. Mm. You, are you familiar with this? Matthew? I mean, yeah,
2: or, it's like has to do with uh, CBD or whatever, like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and I'm sort of seeing everything through the lens um, of that. I, like whenever I hear mm-hmm. songs on the radio, I'm like, oh, they're anxious, <laughs> avoidant. Oh, no, you know.
0: You're diagnosing <laughs> all the pop songs. I, I love I it. I yeah. And yeah. as
1: I was watching this and seeing um, Jeff Goldblum character um, being left uh, by Gina Mm -hmm. Davis. He has a meltdown. She was actually yeah Yeah. he has a meltdown he starts drinking a bit and then um, what I believe is called protest behavior which I totally do like this is my MO as well and you do something (laughs) impulsive as a way to kind of like soothe yourself like you you're trying to get control of the situation yeah. so like normally you might say like well they're not texting me back so i'm going to ignore their text you know or whatever uh-huh.
2: and and put po- and post something to my instagram stories that would be that would yes. be more like, <laughs> like
1: uh-huh.
2: you know like that i'm having yeah, such yeah, a yeah. great time
1: Oh, yeah. my God. Right. And that's what he does. <laughs> he like
2: does the teleporting because he's like, oh, yeah, you don't want to be here.
1: You don't want to be yeah. here. Yeah. You're not going to you know, support me in the moment that I need you, which I kind of was like I was torn in that because I felt that she needed to go and tell her sleazy ex-boyfriend. Boss, I guess, yeah, don't publish right. this article. Uh-huh. But like, obviously, like they were having a moment of celebration. But I, I was kind of like, can't that wait till tomorrow? But then, of uh-huh. course, the movie wouldn't happen and right. all of that. But um, yeah, so I was like, oh, he's anxious. He's an anxious attachment style um and he could probably talk to a therapist about that how he not turn into a fly <laughs> <laughs> but um
0: the fly too is all about his psychoanalysis a-
1: yes i will be on a chair talking about his, yeah you know
0: it's very talky um, yeah
1: yeah <laughs> i wanted to um address this theme that i felt was sort of percolating um, which I'm not sure how aware of it was in the 80s, but present day, I was sort of seeing as this like a uh, um, uh, engaging with kind of toxic masculinity. And right. like when Gina Davis was like, be afraid, be very afraid. It's like of the men in your life, like, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> You're it's right. not really bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was there, do you think that maybe there was like Some sort of takeaway message about, you know, power and control and ego and like all of these sort of like uh, stereotypes for masculinity and i don't know i mean as a woman i was i was sort of struck by that but i don't know matthew or hyde how y'all were, were reading that it's like oh, a cautionary yeah. tale or
2: i mean I, I, I didn't really think about it sorry but i but if but That's if okay. i'm thinking <laughs> about it in this very moment like i think that like yeah. what the message is like animal
1: mm. y- you know what
2: i mean like like unevolved Uh because the movie's about Mm -hmm. devolving or evolving and it's like maybe it's like like the behavior like having the baboon and then having like this Mm -hmm. these like kind of like knuckle draggers at the bar like you know that like Mm -hmm. that like they want to like show off to each other by like arm wrestling like it's like so like it's so like primordial Mm -hmm. and so like
1: uh-huh. And, and yeah. I think
2: that, like, the yeah. message is that it's, like, he can't, like, he has this whole speech about, like, have you ever heard of fly politics? And, like, you know, right. it's, like, and basically, like, I think, like, there's a lot of animals that are eusocial and that, like, they, they meaning that, like, they're, they don't, there are members of the society th- whose purpose is not to reproduce. Like, they just work mm-hmm. or oh. they just do these things. And it's, like, there are a lot of things mm-hmm. in the lower animal kingdom that are, like. That reflect in the upper animal kingdom but like we since we have consciousness like or self-consciousness like we we have a choice you know what i'm saying to like evolve Mm -hmm. and to like change our habits and our ways of being but like but in the end like we're also mammals and 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 you know like prone to our like disgusting animal you know, I'm not, I'm not, They're I'm not totally. absolving the male characters of their responsibility, but I'm right. just saying, like, I think that there's so much of the film that's about like what happens when you lose your higher animal status and you become a lower in the yeah. lower kingdom of animals. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that would be my, that would be my, like, yeah. Quick
1: and the fact that take yeah, quick take. I um, uh, I thought it was fascinating how the original story was published in Playboy. <laughs> I I didn't know that. I'd recently, yeah, I'd recently watched a documentary about um, Hugh Hefner and just the sort of horrible sort of environment that he had um, with these women (laughs) that he was living with, and um, it's like, yeah, you just can't help but make like this kind of connection. And then it all, like, I know we sort of talked about Mm -hmm. the the body horror. Um, and what it could also be connected to. And, and then I made a an, thought another connection, which was going through puberty hmm. and like all these like, you know, like he started growing hair and, pim- funny and faces. Pim- pimples, <laughs>
2: pimples, <laughs> pimples
1: yeah. yeah. And this yeah. sort of like, you know, oh, crazy and the regurgitation. It's uh-huh, like all that, yeah, all that Unseemly fluid. Like, yes, yeah. and I didn't know. I found this out in some research, but the um, the vomit or the goo that comes out of him was actually a combination of honey and milk and eggs. Ew. Oh god! I, I know it was so gross, but like it's weird how like milk and <laughs> eggs kind of go back to like reproduction. And anyway, oh, like yeah, my mind yeah, yeah. start to. You well, know.
0: no, nobody had to fake their disgust <laughs> at the prop because it was like literally. Oh gross. my
1: god! Yeah. That was the hardest part for me to watch. Was yeah, the, the vomiting and the
0: I've, yeah. I worked on a short film, and we had to produce like. Uh, gallons and gallons of semen, <laughs> and, and we—I think we used cornstarch and water with like oh a blender, god. and it's—it makes this viscous, like cloudy yeah. fluid. So just you know, t- pro tips out there.
1: Oh god. <laughs> um, but then there's also these like he always goes back to these bathroom scenes, which I also thought was really poignant um because the bathroom is a place where we are often discovering totally. things about our bodies like you mentioned matthew <laughs> you can get kind of obsessive and i i totally do that too i'm like yeah. this little bump i obviously i oh, can't cancer please, now
0: please tell mm. me that neither one of you have a magnifying mirror I do <laughs> Those are terrifying <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't, but, um, I know because that would be, um, like even having a mirror in my bathroom is a problem. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I can't imagine magnifying anything. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: but, it's a bad idea.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so he has this bathroom where he's observing his body, uh, changing, which of course, you know, either it goes back to the puberty or goes back to aging and mm-hmm. you know, this, this, this private space where we're, like, reflecting and possibly ruminating. Um, but he then creates a museum mm-hmm. of his body parts um, in the, the cabinet. In the medicine
2: cabinet, <laughs> yeah. And,
1: yeah. And I thought that was a nice little uh, touch uh, to the story. Because <laughs> he's kind of, like, little creating... Manitos. Yeah, he's, like, an artist... Creating a little exhibition, Mm -hmm. Um, and as artists, we very much are putting ourselves on display. And you know, like in your work, Matthew, it's very much connected to your subconsciousness, and you are also putting yourself on display in that way as well. Um, And I just really liked, I liked that part. Yeah,
2: I like that part too. That's my; those are my favorite scenes in the bathroom, actually. Like when he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's understanding like how Uh bad it is. Um, and, yeah. I, and, um, I like all the fly juice, like when he, when he's arm wrestling, <laughs> like there's juice yeah. that comes out. Like I like, all, I like all those uh-huh. things and like the, when he squirts his mm-hmm. fingers into the mirror, like a, kind of like a zit, like it's, it's, I, it's, oh. do
0: you, do you watch those videos? Yes.
2: I, I love pimples. like people, yes. dancing <laughs> yeah. I love those. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the, the, the worst ones are, there's these things called bot flies
0: oh yes
2: horses get them. yeah and like humans can get them too and it's like they like they Mm -hmm. larvae like in you and then you like pull them out kind of like a blackhead and i like all Mm -hmm. that stuff but it's a
0: but it's an insect yeah Yeah. i like
2: all that stuff and i think that like i it's i don't i can't i don't know why i don't know what what it is but uh, there's a lot of um people that get triggered by my work that have that like tryptophobia or whatever it's called you know like when you Uh see holes and stuff like people get triggered by my work like it's something that I really like um and I do I really Uh do like the pimple popping videos I've always loved it so
0: like tryptophilia tryptophilia, (laughs) yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah oh man um I was wondering about when did you discover that you had um the deficiency in one of your, is it a green, red, a green red, cones
2: yeah, year? the red green cones. Red.
0: Cause your work is so colorful.
2: I mean, I can see color. Um, I just, I just mm-hmm. have a hard time putting language in the same way that you guys would to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my mm-hmm. mother was the first to notice my mother is it was a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so we would be like around each other a lot in the summer since she wasn't teaching. And um, before I could read, like she I would ask like which one is green you know like if I was Mm. gonna do grass Mm -hmm. or whatever and then like uh-huh. and she would show me and then like you know you're changing colors all the time and then I would ask again like which one is green and she uh-huh. was like what the fuck's wrong with this kid like uh-huh. is he uh-huh. stupid or like what and so cuz you
0: were getting everything <laughs> else and yeah and so, so it was always going back
2: to green and yeah. then and mm-hmm. just couldn't figure it out like which one was green and so um, or red or whatever it was that I mean it would have to be either uh-huh. green red purple or turquoise and i probably didn't know what turquoise or you know was uh-huh. um or purple maybe. So I, I think it was green because uh-huh. you do grass a lot when you're a, a child. And,
1: yeah. and so they just
2: took me to the eye doctor and they ge- they give a test. They can tell like immediately because they have all these different tests. And so, yeah. and um, Yeah. So, and I just, I just work around it. It's, it's doable.
1: I was just reminded of in Back to the Fly, how um, it, we're believed to understand that Brundle um, is invested in teleportation because he gets yeah
2: car yeah. yeah that's yeah. right
1: and he and it's like that's kind of a funny way to start the project but okay like I get I think I get it and I yeah. get car too but um but I wonder if there's something there that um, yeah Matthew with your um, colorblind colorblindness and like. Uh-huh the sort of like attempts at understanding the body and the sort of, you know, the, the things that can happen beyond your control, you know, like you didn't do anything that caused this and it's just a genetic mutation. Um, and not that I think your work isn't, it, it, it's not like you have an origin story in the same way that Brundle did, but I was just thinking how our, our, our childhood really does manifest a lot in our work in ways that we're probably not even aware <laughs> yeah. of, you know?
2: I mean colorblindness is a weird handicap because I have no idea what anyone else sees so it's like to me it doesn't really Uh feel at all like a handicap it's only a problem like Uh you guys saw earlier when we were talking about the recording Mm. program and if somebody says like mm, it's that purple yeah. button like i don't that doesn't work for me but right, otherwise like it, right. but that's but you,
0: yeah but you're aware of that and you can you're prepared to work for it
2: happens it. a lot less frequently than you could ever imagine like it's uh-huh, only like uh-huh. w- it's very rare that you're asking something like specifically like color based uh-huh. and and everything yeah. else it, like most other yeah. things in in like civic structure are like the red green lights like they're made in such a way that it's like one is brighter basically than the other. Mm. And you, and you uh-huh. know where they are anyway, like in order. So it's like, you don't, it's, 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 there's not much right. else out there that like is really confusing. It's mostly just when you're like, when someone's relying on you to do something with color, like a, my studio, yeah. uh-huh. my studio uh-huh. mate the other day was at the paint store or something. And he was like, Oh, I need to know the number, the number uh-huh. of that paint that's that i'm using on that thing and i said okay i'll go in your studio and check it out i go in there he's like it's the purple and it's like there's like five blues and one purple and so like i have no idea so we had to like facetime and i had to show like you know like i had to like open up the cans and be like here's this one this one Um, Uh but that's like really rare it doesn't really happen Mm -hmm.
0: Um, yeah yeah You know, but I can also see this as an opportunity, like very early on, you learn that not everyone perceives the same thing. Like we're looking at the same thing, but we're not taking in the same thing. And, um, you know, that's like another example where I kind of feel like queerness can be a, um, a positive because it helps you gain perspective. It's like there's mm-hmm. nothing you're taking for granted mm-hmm. and so it kind of expands your experience and your empathy.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Hopefully. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> Hopefully. I mean there are there are people that can't <laughs> can't grow in empathy. That's true. But, you know.
1: Yeah, we all <laughs> yeah. know those. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um I was wondering, um, uh, Matthew, um, so like this movie is about sort of in some ways like technology and making these big leaps forward, you know, ha- being able to teleport, which we still can't do today. Um, but you know, it's like, that yeah, you know,
0: about Aaron.
1: Yeah. That we know about, because obviously like
0: Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson have had this technology <laughs> for a long time.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and, um, but in your work you I, I don't know if you feel like technology is a part of it in some way or like for me in my practice I I try to steer clear of technology as much as possible. Um, and I don't <laughs> yeah. like what's your relationship to technology as an artist?
2: Um, I mean direct technology I don't utilize very often, but I think about it all the time mm-hmm. because one of the things that I mm-hmm. that I you know, when you're working with organic shapes like the your direct contrast to it is either architectural or technological Um, and Mm -hmm. in terms of aesthetics. And so it's something Mm -hmm. that I think about a lot. Like I, like I think about like uh, the cybernetic a lot because I work with uh, the illusion of organisms and of body parts and things like this. And so um, Uh whenever I like have a shape that feels like mechanical or that feels you know, rectilinear, like I always mm. see it as working in orchestration with the other forms, which is kind of the way that cybernetics mm. works. You have something that works with the body to help it do something else. And, um, and yeah. so mm. I think about that quite a lot. And then I also think a lot about machines, Um, I like the, this is one thing that I really love about Cronenberg is that he's, he's actually been quite successful in melding the organic with the, you know, machine like or technological. And so it's, Uh it's something that uh I like that he does in Existence and other movies. Like I, I, I really, even the newest movie that he made, the Crimes of the Future. Like, I think like those, I think this is something that I really respond to in my work. And I think like it's not the easiest thing to do and wood is to make things look, you know, mechanic to, to right. make them look mechanical. Yeah. Um, I don't use a lot of like milling machines and like things like that. And I don't have anything like 3d printed or CNC printed, but I, but I do like the idea of um, technology, even if it's something like, um, like a trumpet or something, you know, like something that's like man-made, mm-hmm. like, I, like often mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to bring in man-made things and, Otherwise, with technology, like one of the things that I think is really interesting way to think about technology is that like we invented technology, and so technology is part. It evolves in the same way that nature does, and in a way, technology mm-hmm. is part of nature in the same way that mm-hmm. language language right. is a technology that we developed that evolves, and it's like it's moving uh-huh. and growing, and it's not staying the same, and and so I don't uh-huh. I don't really have. Um, I don't really divide nature and technology so much. Uh huh.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. You know, even you saying that we invented technology, I'm I'm even wondering sometimes. is like, did we invent it or did we discover it? Because oh. it there are systems in nature that are so uh, emulating technology.
2: Right, but we're inside the, nature, you know, I, and so is technology. Like uh-huh, it's like kind of right. everything that we. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I mean, crows have technology. You know right that's
0: right. right yeah yeah that's what you yeah whenever people point at technology is always like something very contemporary mm-hmm. and uh electronic i always say well scissors are actually a technology or totally. mm-hmm. technological
2: and so is yeah. so mm-hmm. is language i mean
1: oh that's true i it kind of reminds me of this little um uh, I forget where I saw it, but it's for children. But it's basically saying that the brain named itself. <laughs> it's like, Whoa, <laughs> oh,
0: my God, that's
1: so true. <laughs> and uh, kind of crazy to think about. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we have these kind of, yeah, you're right. Like we are in the world and like everything is natural to to, um, in, if you like even chemicals are natural um you know because they come from the earth and so it i was just thinking about how um eventually um, goldblum's like character as he becomes the fly or brundle fly then of course merges with his machine that he created Mm -hmm. and then it's like a hybrid of like um like a machine and then a sort of organic form uh-huh. and it in the movie is presented as pretty horrifying um you know hence the the yeah. uh, the the ending which is to to kill him um because obviously it according to him this is this has gone too far <laughs> right. like you know okay fly fine flying machine <laughs> no thank you yeah. uh so he's rejected that but you know i mean we're kind of getting close to that point where our bodies will start blending with machine and it is yeah. kind of scary you know to think about like i don't know i don't think i want computer chips in my brain or in my body in that way but um but we're kind of like almost on the cusp of that I well think. i'm wondering
0: if we're with will be impregnated with that type of technology or mm. if like there will be machines that like gather the tiniest bit of human dna from us and that will actually be like you know because Shit. again it's like yeah. like the egocentric human always thinks they're at the center of things it's True. like the machines might might not yeah. need so very much of us
1: oh my god that's a whole nother movie. <laughs> well uh, matthew i wanted
0: to ask you too like so, so you're clearly dedicated to the cronenberg uh like catalog mm-hmm. and i i wanted to see like if you know, if you hadn't chosen The Fly, what were some of your other films that you might want to talk about?
2: Just so um, we knew. I mean, Red Desert, I love Monica Vitti, and I love um, uh-huh. Antonioni. Um, I love, I love uh-huh. the technology in Red Desert. And then as a counterpoint to that, like, something like Mononcole or Playtime by Jacques Tati, uh-huh. Are those would uh-huh. be, like, uh, other films that I think, like, have great um, production design and, like, art direction and and I really like Jacques Tati a lot um Uh I really like Eyes Wide Shut um I've seen that like probably 50 times and a couple of couple of times in the theater um and I really I really like that film a lot um let's see like I like I mean on the stupid end I like Beetlejuice (laughs) a lot
1: uh-huh.
2: Um I like yeah. also Tim Burton's <laughs> Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I like a lot. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised we haven't done um, that um, yet. I like I, know. I like uh um some Turkish directors. My wife is Turkish, so we watch a lot of like Turkish film mm. and um there's like a film called Once Upon a Time in Anatolia which is really really great hmm. movie. Uh-huh. Um the director is, is his name is Nuri Bilge, Bilge Jelan. And he's he's made mm-hmm. a lot of movies. Um, they all, like, he made one called Climate. He made one called A Wild Pear Tree. He made one called Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. Um, but they're really, really uh-huh. beautiful. They're very, very, very slow movies. Like, extremely mm-hmm. yeah, slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's the Once Upon a Time in Anatolia deals with, like, a murder. And it's it's kind of fun. But uh, uh-huh, just recently, uh-huh. like, I don't know, I just, I've been trying to catch up on the foreign films for, like, uh, the Oscars, so I just saw EO, which is about a donkey. Um, right.
0: It's supposed to be fantastic. It's really
2: good, actually. It's 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 quite moving, and it has a, um, it, it has a, the sound design is really good. It's very, like, ASMR, or ASMR, whatever. It's like, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah. uh, it has, like, a lot of, like, breathing, and, like, a lot of, like, um like his hooves on the ground and like it's just like really like it's just really very arty but
0: so the main character is a donkey
2: yeah it's kind of like a story about a donkey that gets rescued from a circus by animal rights activists and placed like in a different Mm. program but then like he's got a lot of personality and then those people don't want him and then he goes to like a petting zoo for down syndrome and then like he escapes from there and then he like is going to about to be like processed as horse meat and he gets, a, he gets like, he goes from there to some other owner and then Isabella Upper shows up and then, I don't know. There's just all sorts of like weird stuff, Yeah. but I'll, I'll see it. I'll see anything. And I, I mean, those mm. are just some things off the top of my head, but I like,
0: yeah, no, that's a great, viewing list and i'm sure our listeners will appreciate that you know people are always like asking for suggestions Mm -hmm. um it's funny eo like the way you described it because i didn't really know the premise of it 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 reminds me of that uh film citizen ruth with laura dern where she's sort of uh she's a junkie and she's pregnant and she becomes this sort of pawn between like uh pro-choice and pro-life And oh. she gets kind of lost in the mix, but she, you know, she she's like in a tug of war between these mm-hmm. political factions. Mm. It's a great film, and she's mm. great in it.
2: I yeah. just watched uh, the the nineteen seventies Gatsby with her dad Bruce Dern and Sam Waterston. Oh, wow!
1: And wow. It's really great, uh-huh. and
2: uh, it was done in the early seventies, right when. Is Mia Farrow yes, in that as well? She, yes, yeah, she is. her okay. skin okay. is so gorgeous in it. It's like really. But um, w- the reason yeah. I watched it is because we were doing like a dive on um, I've been doing a dive on uh, American Ivy style, like, you know, like uh, like mm. weird clothing, you know, preppy style. And we were we were, re- we were oh, reading Ivy yeah, we were reading a lot about um, Ralph Lauren and he did the co- he did mm. the menswear for Gatsby costumes.
1: Oh, wow. That makes and so, like, Redford's, yeah. yeah. like,
2: pink suit and Sam Waterston's clothes uh-huh. and Bruce Dern as well. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. And it was I, – I really kind of enjoyed the movie because it's, like, it's not an updated version, but it's, like, the clothes are – some of them are so 70s, even though it's supposed to take mm-hmm. place uh-huh. in the 20s and – it's a really good mm. version. Yeah, yeah, I liked yeah. it better than the, the other one with uh, Leo. Yeah, Leo oh, Gabriel.
1: Yeah, uh huh. uh huh.
2: You
0: know, uh, I wanted to mention something. Are you familiar with the concert film Sandra Bernhardt did uh, called "Without You"? I'm nothing. No, but it
2: sounds great. I like her.
0: It's it's mm. fantastic. It's one of my favorites. But but she mentions Ralph Lauren. In, you know, she's just got these like incredible encompassing monologues and she mentions Ralph Lauren, like being at Andy Warhol's estate sale and, and how he was buying up all the Navajo blankets because, oh
1: my God. Uh, you
0: know, she says he, cause, cause he goes crazy for that shit. And she calls him <laughs> something like Ralph Lauren, AKA lip yeah. Uh and, and then, you know, she talks about like him as a Jewish designer, kind of in, inventing this waspy fashion. <laughs> things not single-handedly but he really like puts it into a capsule for consumption well it's interesting if my- you're interested
2: mm-hmm. in that kind of thing you should check out there's a podcast about american ivy i can't remember what it's called oh. and it's, what's really interesting see
0: i've never even heard that term what's interesting yeah.
2: about it is it's like um there's a book called take ivy that was made by this japanese guy and it, it kind of documents like that style which kind of was i mean it originated from so many different um viewpoints um like in the in the Uh 50s but like one of the one of the like khaki pants for example like when when people came back from world war ii like there weren't enough students Uh for that that there so they accepted Mm -hmm. like different kinds of students at ivy leagues and a lot of those were like not like waspy new englanders they were like guys that Mm -hmm. came back from the war and the only clothes they had were khakis Mm -hmm. And so they like, oh, so wow. khakis were like a military oh, no. thing. They weren't even like, That's crazy. and, and, and this podcast, I can't remember the the name of it. I feel like it's called American Ivy, but it, it also talks about how like the preppy style was like utilized by civil rights leaders. And, you know, it's like yeah. actually like morphed, like all sorts of different people have like used the kind of preppy style and there's a whole yeah, history okay. of the preppy handbook and like it's it's really yes. interesting. I think it's really interesting when clothes can be political and personal at the same mm-hmm. time and the message that yeah. your clothes send and I mean nowadays like everything else there's so many different ways to have a small group of people and everything is kind of accessible um meaning like Uh you can discover or read about it like when i was growing up without the internet like you had to really struggle to find the thing that you wanted you know um and so i think it's interesting that like ivy league style or preppy style or these kinds of things like could actually be utilized by all these different groups for all these different reasons and i don't know it's interesting
1: yeah is it do y'all pronounce it ralph Lauren, Lauren or Ralph Lauren. 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 Which one is it? <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I'll let you take
1: don't, this one. Actually, I actually don't really
2: know. I, mean,
1: I know. I don't think anybody I don't
0: does. often evoke
2: his I name. I probably say Lauren, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean. Lauren. I mean. It's a made up name anyway, so. That's yeah. true. I
1: mean, feel free to take liberties funny. with
0: it. Yeah. My
1: my boyfriend and I have actually debated that and we still don't know. So yeah. um, it's still It's understood. not like you're in,
0: insulting his uh ethnic uh heritage by mispronouncing it because
2: it's (laughs) it's a stage there's some good documentaries about him so i think you could probably you could
1: i want to check that out Yeah. yeah Can I quickly mention the um, there's a special effects um, in The Fly that I thought was amazing. Um, so the like the special effects in general were very very good, and I think they won an award. Or well, the, there's
2: no CGI, um, so it's like
1: that's yeah, true. Yeah, so it's real. all you know. And then I know that like the they had the um, the effect where the the room is rotating, mm-hmm. and so like, that was you know a part of it. But when and I. I couldn't find this uh, scene again, and um, so I couldn't go back and really look at this. But evidently, when um, um, Seth's eyes were melting, they used condoms uh, to get this effect. And so they, it says, the outside had contact lenses applied to them to match his makeup, and then the insides were filled with KY jelly and pieces of shredded rubber. And then a fishing line was, like, attached to them so that they could kind of, like, tear apart. And then... Uh-huh. So that's how they created this sort of, like, effect of the melting eyeballs. And I was like, yeah. I have to applaud all of the, uh, like, whoever was in charge of coming up with this was just a genius, I yeah. think.
0: Are you guys, either of you, familiar with uh, something, a French form of theater called uh, Google, no. I think? No. Uh, but it was... I want to say it was like at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, I want to say. And, and it was about a lot of onstage visual effects that were very gruesome. Mm. Like there'd mm. be a beheading on stage or like some murder where they pull out someone's entrails. And it was all. Wow. Um, but it was. But people would faint in these theater nice. productions.
1: I bet. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I, uh, yeah. spelled G-O-G-A-L. I've
1: heard I, anyway. I've heard of some of this uh when oh, what's the Shakespeare play that's super gruesome? I can't remember the name.
0: Is but it was, Macbeth?
1: No, what? it's not Macbeth. It's one that doesn't get uh uh produced very often. It is so so Maybe great. Cronenberg should
0: take it. I
1: know, right? It. Well, I'm a big fan um, of
2: the and, uh, um uh, the Dune uh the the first oh, yeah. Dune, the Lynchian uh-huh. one. Yeah. I have a uh-huh. great like uh, book like making of Dune that was produced like right after the film, oh, and the, the reason I bring it up is because there's a scene where like um, uh, the Kyle MacLachlan character stabs one of those um like land worm things. And and he uh-huh. said that like uh, they had like a big part and he ran he ran by it and he stabs it with a trident and all the entrails come out and he said that the, that they also used condoms filled with jelly for that
1: oh weird uh-huh. that's a thing. yeah because I think wow. the condoms
2: they like they they mimic like the membrane of intestines or they were originally sure, intestines yeah. so it's that like, makes yeah, sense. yeah so I think yeah. it's like a, a, a an, uh, industry kind of standard I was thinking yeah.
1: I was thinking about how easy it is to be drawn into the body horror genre, whether it's in theater or film or even like in art. Like I was thinking about some artistic examples like Gerhold or Grunewald or Goya maybe that kind of like. Or George Groetz or any
2: of the artists that like Jogos, that, that lived yeah. through World War One. I. I mean, that was a terrifying. Totally. That's like right. body terror. Yeah. At it's like number one apex. Yes.
1: And it's it's kind of like a transgressive thing in terms of imagery, because you're dealing with the body that's supposed to be sort of sacred. And then it's, it's like, you're seeing it in this way that is, um, it it's like it, we're attracted to it. We're repulsed by it. You know, we can't not look at it. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's such an interesting kind of subject matter to well i mean
2: i think actually it goes back to like uh like biblical like doubting thomas like puts his finger and jesus is you know to make Uh sure it's real like i think it's actually like Uh i think it's a human kind of quality it's like what happens in this orifice you know or whatever and you're just Uh like poking around and
1: (laughs) we're curious yeah 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 Yeah.
0: that's so funny that you said orifice again because when Erin was reading your biography oh, no. <laughs> and, and 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 she said orifice and she and I both giggled like we were ten years old. And,
2: and, uh, I mean, the body can but, be funny but again, right? Is. Right. Yeah.
1: And
0: laughter is sometimes a way a way to kind of release anxiety or like a stressful situation. And so, yeah, like. Um,
1: oh my god when i'm at the doctor's office i'm trying to laugh the whole Speaking time
0: of orifices i
1: know i know it's like you're just trying to get through it yeah it's yeah. terrifying <laughs> <laughs> um matthew i don't know if you can speak a little bit about your upcoming show um do you have new work for that or is it um
2: yeah i'm working yeah i'm working on um uh a bunch of new works one of the rooms is like four small discrete sculptures and then the other room is um like a kind of horizontal ish sculpture like the the, similar to the one that i made for the Nasher, just smaller
1: cool Uh that's so
0: exciting And, and and where's the show and and what are the dates
2: it's in hong kong at a gallery called periton
0: cool well, Aaron, before we sign off, I know uh-huh. you wanted to talk about we have some new merch in the shit. ATM I know. Shop. I yeah.
1: I have a post-it and it's like it couldn't be more obvious and then I almost forgot to mention it. But yeah, so we have some new merch um, that was designed by former guest Sarah Welch, who covered mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. Yeah. And it's super awesome. It's all eco friendly. Um merchandise. Another Jeff Goldblum
0: vehicle. Another,
1: I know. We can't <laughs> and, get enough and Laura of Dern. Oh my god. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> we're gonna and... have to
0: have a s- six degrees of ATM soon.
1: <laughs> I know. And so um, there are totes and new um, uh, tops and T-shirts, and they're they're really amazing. Like I have to just like bow down to Sarah for coming up with these amazing uh, creative designs for our merchandise. So there's a link in the description of the episodes um, that you can find. Um, our little store, our little digital store. So support the podcast. Get a hat or a t-shirt or whatever. So, yeah. Thanks for reminding me about that. I almost forgot. But anyway, uh, well, Matthew, was there anything else you wanted to, to talk about about the flyer? No, I just
2: thanks. Thanks for there? having me, and and that's it.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, we really uh, we. We're looking forward to this uh, for quite some time, and then when I finally did watch *The Fly*, I don't think I was prepared exactly, but um, I'm really glad that I watched it because I don't think I would have um, had it not been um, for your suggestion. So I walk away with um, with uh, I've I've been it's made an it impression <laughs> that's for sure. That's very kind. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Help me. Please. Help me.